welcome to this episode of Takumi Unfiltered. I am your host, Mary Keen Dawson, Group CEO of Creators with Influencer Agency, Takumi. Join us as we sit down with the entrepreneurs and business leaders to take an unfiltered look at the issues and hot topics that marketeers, creators, and all of society must consider today. Let's go. I'm very, very overjoyed, in fact, to welcome Pollyanna Ward, Head of Paid Social at Social Chain, to our podcast. Pollyanna has over seven years of experience in the marketing industry, growing and lending her talent for social media strategy for global FMCGs, national retailers and small businesses, and has even had a stint teaching in Paris as a guest lecturer. Pollyanna is a true innovator with an entrepreneurial streak even transforming her love of coffee into a business. With a knack for defining trends, Pollyanna has shown throughout her various roles that thinking outside the box truly pays off. So, hello Pollyanna, and it's great to have you here. Um, Perhaps you could give our listeners a brief introduction to yourself, please. Hi Mary, thank you very much for that lovely introduction. (laughs) It's it's nice that it's a podcast because you can't hopefully see how I'm blushing. But uh, yes, no, so I'm Pollyanna and I probably would say I'm a bit of a hybrid between, I guess, a marketer and a social media advertiser, because whilst absolutely hands down my bread and butter has sort of always been social media and that's absolutely where I put myself. But I think over the last few years, I've sort of made it my purpose to bring a bit more of that traditional marketing rigor to the subject. So it's not just thinking about social media in a silo. I've always been super interested in how social media can be used effectively as part of a brand's overall marketing mix. Um, And I guess a little bit about me is I've been very, very fortunate to have had some really great opportunities, such as working for Oreo or Capri Sun, VFit in the Netherlands and Radio 1. And I definitely am still learning and I think I always will be, but I think that's why I really love this industry because I think it does appeal to me as someone who likes to move fast and I do sometimes break things, but I do always try and learn from those experiences. So it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's never a dull day in the world of social, is it? So. No, and I think you're absolutely spot on. It's a very fast evolving medium, even if that's actually even a good word to apply to it. It's absolutely transformative and every single day something new is happening. Not always necessarily good new, but but something new nonetheless. And uh, yeah, it makes for an exciting and very dynamic and creative space to be in. But you started out with your own food blog at university, I understand, and that really jump-started your career. And can you tell us a little bit about how all of that came about? Yeah, no worries. So yeah, this is going back quite a while now. Uh, so <laughs> digging up some memories and I was thinking about this, but it was really sort of born out of joining together both what I thought was interesting, which at the time was, I loved taking Instagram pictures and I loved writing. Um, I did an English degree, so a bit of a rogue one when so many people now probably do, whether it's business or maybe more marketing focused degrees, but I just had no idea what I wanted to do. And I knew that I needed something concrete on the CV because that's what you needed to get a job after university. You're supposed to go there, get your grades and also done all this work experience. But within social media, there weren't social media courses and there definitely weren't so many thought leaders or people just in the news who were doing social media. So you just didn't really know how to learn much more. And so there was a couple of us that were sort of behind the blog where it was, well, we want to work in social afterwards. Let's just give it a go. and Maybe we can document how it goes along the way. So we did it anonymously. 
we did this over the course of a year and then after about the six month mark we hit like 5,000 followers and again no one knew it was us and then the university got in touch with us and didn't realize that we were students you know I think they just thought we were like a company that were sharing experiences of where to eat and drink in, in Nottingham and they were like oh can we use your blog for our um, students that are joining we'd love to give it out as a guide or as a go-to and maybe we could do some collaboration and that was when it was like oh we're just students like you know <laughs> this isn't a job for us this is just a passion project but essentially from there that was a, a really fantastic springboard because from there we were then able to enter the guardian student business awards which we were then won the runner-up prize for and then from there as i said before i then started a separate blog where i then basically blogged about the blogging experience of everything that I'd learned. So I was trying to give tips to other small business owners in the area. So I used to then do the social for like the local coffee shop and the local bar. And I'd be like, right, so we've posted pictures from all these different angles. This is what works. And we've tried captions this long and actually the captions of this length worked. So it was very much trial and error and then writing about it. And um, it's quite a long story, but I'll try and get to the exciting bit. But the part that really was very much right place at the right time. But essentially, I was doing just what well, probably what a lot of people do, they're doing a sort of unpaid or just covering your expenses internship. I just literally was like, I need something I just for love or money couldn't get a job. And then I was still writing, I was like, if I just keep writing. And at the time, I absolutely loved Oreo, they'd just done their Oreo eclipse. And this is when I'd started to then follow like it was the drum, I was following a blog called We Are Social. So I was trying to get in there and I was like, right, I'll just write about all the brands I want to work at and hopefully this will come about. So I just went and met a recruiter with, you know, I'd been to meet so many of them by this point. This was over a summer. And I was like, at this point, I was sort of a bit desperate because my internship was coming to an end. And I was like, like, I just really want to work. If I could work anywhere, it'd be Oreo. That's what I want to do. I just want to be the voice of Oreo. I think their social is fantastic. I eat their products and always have done. It just seems incredible. And anyway, I didn't get any job out of that. But what did happen was it turned out that the recruiter's sister was Kate Wall, who she's now head of innovation at KFC. And so he'd obviously gone back home. I think they were living together at the time and had said, oh, this girl's coming and she's obsessed with Oreo. And at the time she was one of the brand managers at Mondelez, which owns Oreo. So yeah, then she got in touch and was like, look, we've seen your blog we're actually looking for a social media manager for Oreo. We think it could be you. So obviously I had to go through the whole really scary interview process. There was like six of them in a room, right from the marketing director all the way down to, or not all the way down, but you know, there was an agency person was there. There was their external PR agency was there. It was very daunting for your first sort of job out of uni. But I think what I would say though, is that my biggest takeout from all of that though, was that I didn't realize that definitely for young marketers anyway, that a lot of the companies that you think are probably owned by just Oreo or just Capri Sun, they're actually owned by much bigger businesses. And so one of the things that it's like the Oreo job was advertised, but it wasn't advertised as Oreo. So I would never have come across it, if that makes sense. So I know it seems really silly and it seems so obvious now because when you've been in the industry and you're like, oh, if Unilever is posting a job, it's probably for one of their brands. But when you're just starting out and you're like, oh, I really want to go and do marketing for, we'll just use Oreo as an example, actually try and go direct if you can and also just go to the source because also they don't advertise on places like LinkedIn a lot of these places because they just use agencies so that was very much a big learning yeah 
Well, I think it's you make a really, really well. You make a lot of really good points there. And apart from anything else, I think that's truly inspirational what you just shared with us that story because it it's kind of like defying the odds, if you like. Um, but I think it also makes that extremely important point about how do you navigate this corporate world, right? Because it's something that, as an English graduate who's started a blog off and and you know and clearly aware and aware enough of the fact that there are these signposts are missing here as to the direction of travel you're kind of literally having to work it out on your own whereas i think one of the things that you know speaking to big corporates you find that they say well we just get hundreds of thousands of cvs via the website or whatever and you're thinking that's not actually going to help you appoint the right people or for that matter meet your diversity and inclusion objectives because Absolutely. you know they're just random cvs that you're getting from people who you know have been told to just send their cv through to unilever or whoever it might be so yeah i think there's a lot to be done in that area but you've obviously successfully navigated it and i really want to congratulate you i mean that's a, a well done you because i think getting that very first role is always going to be really tough for anybody who isn't coming as you said the traditional business management obvious degree route and I think it's so important that we have people who've done English done philosophy done you know anthropology whatever that are in the marketing departments because their perspective is so invaluable in my experience you've also obviously had your own business so uh, <laughs> you managed to fit that in somewhere along the lines one click coffee a monthly coffee subscription business can you tell us a little bit about that how did that go yeah one click coffee i mean i've always wanted to do my own business like my mother and i used to literally brainstorm ideas for hours in an evening of just things that we could do to make people's lives better and it was always based on sort of personal things so nothing that would ever probably have scale but that's a, a conversation for another time dead ideas are in a box somewhere <laughs> but no coffee pretty much i think for everyone has always been part of someone's life you know i think people when they probably just grow up a bit like me you hate the taste of coffee but very much i always loved reading and um, i had a bit of an unusual upbringing i was brought up by my dad not my mum which is what at the time was not something that was heard of um, and my dad was that typical, like, chain-smoked 20 a day and would read a book. And then I'd just sit with him in the coffee shop and read. And so I always used to scrape the foam from his cappuccino off the top. And that was my favorite part. Anyway, I just forced myself to like coffee. I was like, I'm going to be that person that sits in coffee shops and reads books all day. I don't know how I'm going to make money, but we'll figure it out later. So coffee's always been there. And when I then got the opportunity to go and work in the Netherlands for a year for a big dairy company called Friesen Campina which again is another one of those sort of big ones that you might not have heard of the overall name, but they've got some really great brands like Chocomel, um, which is the chocolate drink. And whilst I was out there, I was still quite young. I was very alone. There was no friends out there. And you sort of rely on coffee for comfort, I suppose. Word of warning though, don't type in coffee shop on Google Maps in Amsterdam because you will find something very different. <laughs> but when I did manage to find a cafe that did serve coffee and nothing else... <laughs> You know, they, the Dutch are super friendly anyway, but, um, you know, you just get chatting. Uh, I think people in coffee shops do. They're sort of like melting pots of people from all walks of life. You've got business people having catch-ups. You've got the solo reader. You've got the person writing their novel. It's full of all those characters that you read about. So I've always found it quite romantic, coffee shops. And it was just there, really. Then I used to like go over to Berlin or I went to Copenhagen. And each time, you know, I'd go and find a coffee shop. And that was how I just sort of got to know the lay of the land. I'd start chatting to the baristas. 
And it was there that I learned a lot more about what speciality coffee was. Now, I'm not going to turn this uh, podcast into a speciality coffee uh, podcast, but essentially it's where you a fair and equal pay is paid to every hand that the coffee passes through. And so there's a lot of people that really don't know about this. And I guess it's probably the equivalent of like fair trade chocolate, I suppose, is probably the mm-hmm. best example I can give. And actually, when you start to uncover those stories and realize like you know, the reason this coffee tastes different to that one or actually the origin of what this coffee's come from or actually your money has not just gone to a coffee farmer it's gone to that community and sent that child to school like there's so many amazing stories that it's worth paying for and yeah I then came back to the UK and suddenly I wasn't able to get my hands on any of this amazing specialty coffee I'd had over there and London you sort of came across the same brands over and over again and um, I spoke to one of the coffee shop owners in Nottingham where I did actually briefly work whilst I was at university and he said, well, if you set up a business, you can just get the coffee wholesale. And I was like, oh, well, this, this sounds like a good idea. So, I mean, it was never something that was going to be um, my full-time job. I just really enjoy it. I love tasting the coffee. I send out different roasters every month. I do a newspaper alongside it, which pre-pandemic was distributed to coffee shops. So it meant I got to write and I got to drink coffee. Mm-hmm. So still pairing those passions together. But yeah, it was sort of, it's never once something that was going to take over my life. I don't think it was more, I was already doing this. I'm already going to coffee shops. Why not just, I'm already asking the stories and probably writing them on my own Instagram. Let's cast that net a little bit wider. I think that it's very interesting to listen to your story because it's kind of exhibiting and you're a great example of somebody who's thinking creatively and entrepreneurially, but at the same time, you know, you've got very high levels of of social conscience and values i mean you know they're the subscription coffee model and obviously that whole area of you know coffee in particular it's a lot of gray right there's a lot of gray areas to the whole production and distribution of coffee but it sounds really fascinating and i'm sure will be massively informative in your work as you work with brands i mean you know you just recently i know left wix and you did some fantastic work there. I mean, obviously, that's how we got to meet, I think, originally, because Takumi partnered with you while you were there. But you did something really pretty radical for a, well, I mean, how do you define Wix? Because it's kind of a combination of both trade and domestic home improvements company, essentially. But taking them onto TikTok, what was that about, Pollyanna? <laughs> That was definitely something that I'm really, really proud that we were able to do. But yeah, as you mentioned, I will just touch, I think Takumi, I've definitely been there throughout my whole career. I remember getting you on board, gosh, yeah, when it was actually on Oreo. (laughs) That That was like seven years ago. That was right at the beginning. So you've sort of been there all the way through. So it was fantastic to be able to partner up again. And basically, yeah, so for anyone that doesn't know what Wix is, you know, we're quite a heritage brand. It's been around for years and years and years, actually. But yeah, it started off as being very trade focused. So it's very much the go-to brand that if you are in the trade, you know, if you're a plumber or a builder, you know, you go to Wix, you know that you're getting good quality, good value and a good range of products to help you do jobs. And then that started to then eke out into different areas. So then you've got DIYers and doer-uppers and fixer-uppers and all of those. So you've got like new like home movers and things like that that are, are really interesting. And then you've also got our showroom side of the business, which is sort of our more premium offering, which is our we'll do it for you. So 
our mainstay was always sort of like adults, basically. It was people that own homes. Whereas basically when it came to lockdown, obviously we saw a huge surge in people going online to get tips on how to do up their home because suddenly you're staring at the same four walls day in, day out. Actually, yeah, let's learn how to paint a wall or let's learn how to make a desk. So <laughs> those sorts of things all fell into place. But I think what I do want to say is that going on to new platforms just in general for any brand, you know, that's always going to be a bit of a risk. And I would say that whether it's a pandemic or not, and I don't just mean that in terms of like safety or backlash and things like that. I think there's a lot of the time that you see brands going onto new channels, but they do it organically, which is basically getting the social media manager or whoever it is to then spend hours on creating lots of content and pushing it out and sort of crossing your fingers that it's going to take mm -hmm. off. Mm -hmm. When in reality, if you'd gone in with a bit of paid media budget, you might have actually been successful and reached the target audience the first time and probably with better results. So I always say that when it comes to any campaign, whether you're going onto a new platform or doing something completely different, you really need to think about what your objectives are. So if we come back to Wix, you know, there was always this balance as there are with many brands that yet yeah, we've always historically gone after adults, but we've now got to get capture the next generation of DIY lovers. And so what channels are they using? And yeah, we saw TikTok um, usage absolutely surge during lockdown. We saw more young people were doing DIY more than ever. And essentially the opportunity was there, you know, there was no other home improvement brands on the platform. So this was the chance to own that DIY space, work with creators who knew the platform, knew what would work. Because again, I am definitely not the expert in creating TikTok adverts and our in-house creatives had also never done it. So we kind of had to hold our hands up at this point and go, wait, we don't know how to do it, but we need to be on there. But that was where, you know, after a few sort of emails were sent around, it was probably one of the fastest from brief to campaign I've ever sort of seen you know it was sort of a week later it was like right we've got all these creators you know the uh, Takumi account manager sort of said we've got them all and here we go and they've got thousands of followers and we've got guaranteed views and and that's what you want you want those guarantees and I think when there's a platform that's hot topic in a different way to Clubhouse where it's got lots of hype but less following there's less sort sure. of penetration for a brand Yep. It was a really great way to sort of sell it in. And I think that's how I've sort of always gone about selling in new challenges, whether it's to a brand that I'm actually working for in-house or whether I've been a freelancer. I've always mm -hmm. sort of gone back to, right, what's your objective and can we do it with this new channel? You know, there's, it's very difficult not to be a magpie, isn't it? It's sort of like, oh, there's a shiny new object. Should we go over there? But mm -hmm. this, it was mm -hmm. like everything aligned. So it was really easy to sell it in to be like, you've got guaranteed views. You've got guaranteed this. We've got the creative. So, yeah, I, I'm just really, really proud of everyone on all sides there because I think we were all super collaborative. And I think that's mm -hmm. what makes a great campaign and what makes all of those like late night emails and, and <laughs> trying to piece together a strategy for it, isn't it? <laughs> No, 100%. I mean, I think that the one thing that we can really, really be kind of confident of in terms of the future of the industry is that I think increasingly clients and agencies and creators will have to collaborate together because this is an evolving space continually. Social media is really becoming the dominant channels and means by which we communicate and we share information and we discover stuff and and i mean you know it's going to be a fascinating you know can, it'll continue to be a fascinating journey and i think it's wonderful pollyanna that somebody with your background and with your enthusiasm and your passion and clearly you're very smart is able to actually be part of you know driving uh these brands and clients and now going to the agency side 
to develop and be one of the thought leaders in the space. And I know before we came on air earlier, I sort of mentioned to you that I'm very impressed with your career. And I mean that from a good place, not in a patronizing way whatsoever. And I want you to have a really fantastic and hugely successful career. But as somebody who's been around a while and has had to fight a few battles, should we say, through my career, I, I would really hope that you don't have to go through that stuff and that you can make it to the top of the, you know, whatever your ambitions are. I, I really want to see you leading a company and really making a difference. And I'm sure you will if you want to. But the question, I suppose, is, is how's your experience been so far? And do you anticipate that you may have more challenges as you move on? Or is it kind of like pretty clear to you, you know what you want, and you're just heading in that direction? I think, yeah, there's sort of a broader question there, isn't there, which is, I completely agree. And I think there'll probably always be challenges. Those things won't be solved overnight. There's lots of things that I probably won't do justice on this podcast, but there's lots of obviously great work being done, whether that's by the Conscious Advertising Network and gender pay gap, and, and there's lots of noise being made. And I think that will only continue to go. So that's fantastic. I think when it comes to my own sort of experience, I think you'll always have this. I think no matter how old you are, because I think social media inherently comes with some assumptions. You know, we do it to ourselves. We refer to the intern running the Twitter account. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've created ourselves almost. Mm -hmm. And then we're sort of laughing about it, joking about it, like, oh, ha, ha, ha. But actually, it's not helpful. Mm. But actually, what that does mean is that what I've had to have is a lot of resilience. Mm. You know, when you say that you're coming in as, yeah, I'm going to be looking after your social media and there's a, oh, well, I've got an Instagram account, so I could probably do your job. And it's going, actually, it's proving that, that there's a bit more to it, I suppose. So that's where I always, coming back to what I said at the beginning, where I'm a, I try to be more of a hybrid, mm. which is having that more traditional marketing rigor. So I do, you know, I've read How Brands Grow. I read Mark Ritson or Prof Galloway or... Rory Southern, I try and read widely around the industry just to try and make sure that I'm speaking hopefully the same language as both brands and agencies and creators, but also, yeah, to sort of show that there's a bit more to it than just tweeting uh, off the cuff. I think as well, though, just when it comes to resilience, there's been lots of probably more personal obstacles, really, you know, whether that's childhood or as a woman of the LGBT community, I've only recently started championing that. And I think that really came from seeing right, if you are in a position where you can talk about it, then you should be talking about it. And I know that's not the same for everyone, but I did feel like, look, I talk so much on it about everything else. I should be talking about that as well. <laughs> so you know, there's, there's, there's that side of things. And then there's also, you know, the side which again, I think for many, particularly during lockdown, but there's also struggles with mental health. So I would definitely not change any of those sort of struggles because I think they sort of make you who you are today. But one of the absolute thoughts that I subscribe to and I would really encourage everyone else to sort of think of this is we are really not here to save the world. Mm -hmm. So whether you're a brand that's selling socks, sports car, biscuits, crisps, you know, you're just not here to save the world from aliens. So <laughs> I think perhaps where previously I might not have pushed myself or challenged a way of thinking because I was a bit scared of going against the status quo or, you know, your mental health tells you like, oh my God, if you do that, you're going to get fired. Mm. Like, how dare you do that sort of thing? And that actually, when I've broken away and just nudged it a little bit, it's actually been met positively. It's, oh, actually people are willing to accept change. You've just, it's a bit cliche, but you have to go on that journey and you definitely won't always get it right. And, um, you also probably won't get your own way 99% of the time. But I think what I believe really strongly in is that my work ethic is really about asking those questions that I've definitely been afraid to ask before. And something that 
uh, if my old boss listens to this, she will know exactly what I'm talking about. But my mantra was always ask for forgiveness, not permission. But I will say, please take that with an absolute pinch of salt. I've always said that, you know, you've got to be really confident, you know, have your data, have your test and learn backups with you, have a plan B if it goes wrong, you know, and you've got to own it. So, you know, I always think if you're going to do, if if you really think passionately about something, there's more people that are going to say yes than they are going to say no. But I think a lot of it is just overcoming your own sort of mental blocks, I think, a lot of the time. I think that's, that's extremely good advice, and I and I would concur with you. I'm, I'm well known for saying, uh, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. And I tell my people to do that because it's the way that you make things happen. But yes, you're right. You have to have plan Bs and you have to have very good uh, methodologies and, and systems in place. And, and you have to have some science, I'm afraid. Yes, <laughs> you do. absolutely. You absolutely do. Well, um, Pollyanna, it's been absolutely a privilege talking to you today. And thank you so much for sharing your stories. It's been really, really fascinating. You're obviously now moving into your new job. and Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that before we wrap up. Goodness, yes. So I think when the time this airs, I will have been there for probably a month or so. I think, to be honest, one of the things actually coming back to starting just doing my English degree and I sort of said, you know, it doesn't lend itself automatically in people's minds to doing social media or marketing or or anything like that or influencers. But I do remember so vividly and I've literally got it etched on a piece of paper that's in my purse. On my first day at university, I cannot for the life of me remember the lecturer's name right now. So hopefully maybe he'll listen to this. But he said, read laterally, not vertically along the shelf. And whilst I sort of applied that to pretty much everything, so, you know, I have my eggs, then you can add avocado, then you can add hummus, then you can have eggs for dinner. But also in my career, I've absolutely loved social media. I found it fascinating that you can make money from it and businesses can grow from it. But it was, okay, I learned social media doing it sort of a UK focused biscuit way. Now, how does Europe do it? So what's it like working with different people? What's different cultures, different approaches, different channels? And then it was what's happening in entertainment? Actually, what's it like to teach social? And I think for me going to agency, you know, I've got a lot of respect for social chain. I think they're absolutely brilliant. So this was very much a really exciting opportunity to to have. And again, now it's about, right, I've done social on these different facets. The next stage of my career is, okay, now what's it like on the agency side? Like I want to learn how to do it that way. And what's it like to sort of have lots of different brands with lots of different objectives going on at once. And for me, it's always just been about thinking laterally and how can I keep just adding and building? I sort of feel like a bit of a, I guess it's like the reverse of Shrek when he says he's an onion with lots of layers. I think, you know, the, the core is social, but then it's all the layers outside of it. So for me, agency is not a, you know, I'm choosing one side or the other. I just want to bring what I've done so far. Can I do it even better? Can I learn more? What am I missing? And can I meet new people as well? So that's probably it for me. Well, I would like to wish you the greatest of success and the, the rest of your journey. And I'm sure that we'll cross paths again, Pollyanna. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And I really want to thank you very, very much. It's been fascinating. So thank you for joining Takumi Unfiltered. And well done. You're doing great so far. I'm sure there's even more to come and it's going to be amazing for you. Thank you very much, Mary, for having me on. It's been a pleasure. So if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, rate and review us. And you can find us on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at Takumi HQ. Thank you so much, Pollyanna. And I look forward to listening to the podcast myself. Break.